0: Welcome to Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. Do you sometimes feel alone in life with personal and interpersonal struggles and challenges? We'll show you that you are not alone and that you can learn and thrive from your challenges and thereby live a healthy life. Now, here is your host, Dr. Vadisha Patel.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. Today, during the show and anytime afterwards, you can reach me at, through my website at peaceofheartllc.com. That's P-E-A-C-E of heart, L-L-C dot com. Or you can always email me at drv4kids at yahoo.com. So today, we're going to be talking about women and the transitions we face as we move through perhaps the second half of our lives. Um, Getting older doesn't have to be a negative facet uh, of our lives. And instead, through relationships, appreciation, gratitude, and much more, we can enjoy the passing of time and allow ourselves to grow and expand. My guest today has written a book about just that topic. Mary Pfeiffer is a psychologist specializing in women, trauma, and the effects of our culture on mental health, which has earned her the title of cultural therapist for her generation. She's the author of four New York Times bestsellers, including Reviving Ophelia, The Shelter of Each Other, Another Country, and most recently, Women Rowing North. She lives in Lincoln, Nebraska. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you
2: very much, I'm happy to be on.
1: So as a mental health therapist, I work with a lot of women and girls, and I found your books to be extremely helpful to me in my practice, but also personally raising my own children. And I have to say, though, that your most recent book, Women Rowing North, has touched me on a much more personal level. And I'm a few years behind you in this process. But I find that most of the concepts that you talk about are actually things we can build on and are applicable throughout our lives. So... I'm curious to find out from you, when did the idea of this book germinate within you and what prompted you to write it now?
2: Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, First of all, I always write about what I need to learn. Uh, What motivates me to write is a question about what's happening in myself or what's happening in the culture. Uh Or in this particular case, one thing that was very important for me was that as an older woman myself, I'm 71, I noticed enormous disconnect between the cultural messages about aging and how I was feeling and how my friends were feeling. Um, The culture defines old age in almost entirely negative terms. It's right. defined by loss and diminishment. So especially older women are are pretty much defined as losing their attractiveness, their sexuality, their usefulness as mothers or in the job force. And uh, there's actually quite a bit of ageism mm-hmm. for older women. In fact, I think ageism is a much bigger problem than aging. So on one hand, I I feel like the culture was sending very negative messages to women. And yet on the other hand, most of the women I know are saying that this is the happiest time in their lives. Um, And we actually have also research data that shows that as a demographic group in both the United Kingdom and the United States, Older women are the happiest people. Women over 65 are the happiest people in this country. So that particular set of ideas about the ageism and the culture, and on the other hand, the happiness of older women, was deeply intriguing to me as something I wanted to explore. And I actually started, I'm a, a very slow writer. Uh, <laughs> because for me, writing involves thinking. And then I'm also just a slow writer. I, I usually write about hundred books and throw 99 away. So I started this book three years ago and okay. it's, it's taken that long for, Women Roy North came out in January. It's taken three years for me to get it ready to go.
1: Wow. So um, that's really interesting. A couple of the points you've made about ageism versus aging. Can you talk a little bit
2: more about that? Yeah. Well, one of the first clues I had about ageism, ageism is when people ask me what I'm writing, which happens to me all the time. People know I, I'm i a writer. They'll go, what are you writing now? And I'd go, well, I'm writing a book about older women. And and invariably, they would either say, well, I'm not old. Even if they were 80, they would say that. Mm-hmm. Or they would look at me and say, well, you're not old. Well, that was really interesting to me. And what I realized women were saying when they say, I'm not old, is they refused to be identified by the cultural or descriptions of older women. They were saying, I don't fit any of the stereotypes and caricatures. I'm somebody totally different than that. And so that really gave me a, a idea about what women do. And essentially what happens is... Uh, by time we're 71 or 70 say we have 70 years to build up a set of skills resources and um emotional intelligence to be very resilient people and so when when we start hearing these negative messages about what it what it means to be an old woman what a lot of women end up being able to do is say Well, I'm not looking anymore to the culture for validation. I'm looking inside myself for self-validation. And by now, I finally have the skills to do that. Most women in in this culture are very self-critical. They don't let up on themselves until they're about in their 60s, at which point, thank goodness, women seem to make a turning. And they start to be able to say to themselves, you're really fine just the way you are and I love you and I accept you and I'm no longer going to criticize you constantly and tell you, you need to change and be a better person. So that self validation comes in extremely handy at a point. The culture is saying you're not attractive. You're in the way you're, you know, uh, not a desirable person in this culture. Right. And so that, that shift that happens
1: Roughly around sixty, um, how how does that happen? Is it just a process? Is it something specific that we're hearing in the culture or not hearing?
2: Do you have do you have sure?
1: Information on well, that? what
2: I, what I think happens first of all, I, I think what happens is this life stage of of say sixty and beyond is catalytic for growth because on one hand we're starting to experience losses. And for example, at my age, I'm very aware that one way or another, I'm going to say goodbye to everyone I love. So we have a sense of loss and a sense of finitude. And um, ironically, that sense of loss and finitude catapult us toward a deep appreciation the joy of being alive, and a deep appreciation for all these people around us that we're aware we're going to say goodbye to. There's a, a psychologist named Laura Christensen who's done this research that shows that the shorter you perceive your life to be, the more likely you are to find joy and meaning in it. And one specific example of that in my case is I've always been someone who's ideas about what I wanted to do were much bigger than my energy level and my schedule would allow. But I've started, I always was saying, well, eventually I'm going to go visit this place or eventually I'm going to have time for this or that. Well, now I, I when I start to think eventually, I say to myself, eventually is no longer a word for me. If I want to do something, I'm going to do it. And, and many women, I, I think, reach that point. The other thing is, uh, to be happy at, at our age, we really have to make a decision that we want to be happy right. uh, and that our happiness is a matter almost totally of our attitude. I visited an older woman named Jane Jarvis, she was just this amazing jazz prodigy that was a statesman of jazz. They didn't have a word for stateswoman of jazz when she was (laughs) this dishonor. But I met her. She came to Nebraska to play a concert when I was writing Another Country, my book on um, I Wrote After My Mother Died about my generation, the baby boomers, saying goodbye to our parents. And I just loved her. She'd had a very tragic life. Um, Her parents were musical um, people themselves they taught music they knew very early she was a prodigy and they were her teachers but they didn't want her exposed early to the uh, celebrity and pressure right but when she was 11 her parents were killed in the train uh, uh, a train hit her and and they were killed going to school to teach and so she was in alone and an orphan and by then she had music inside of her and music is what kept her going. She ended up over the course of her life having three husbands all divorced uh, she divorced a ball and I asked her the name of her husband's and she said she got the first one, then she got the third one and then when we were I asked about the second one, she goes, "You know I just can't remember his name." she was funny she was very funny that way, but um when I last visited her, she was in her 90s, and she was in a wheelchair. She was in a very tiny apartment in New York City. And I took her some roses and went to this apartment, and she, with my help, could move over to piano and play. She had a bed and a piano and a tiny little kitchenette in the bathroom, and her window looked out on a wall. And when I was leaving, I said, now, Jane, are you okay, are you happy? And she gave me this big smile and she said, Mary, I've got everything I need to be happy right between my ears. And that's what I think is that at at, uh, my age, at at most women at my age, they understand that if they're going to be happy, it's because they've got everything they need right between their ears. So it's a choice, but it's also a set of skills. And we have seven decades to acquire those skills. So that's a really important thing. We have learned over time, for example, to um, have reasonable expectations for life. Um, When I was 20, I thought I could do anything. Um, I just thought the world is my oyster. But at 71, I have much more reasonable expectations. For example, I, I understand totally that my adult children don't want my advice. (laughs) Um, And that every day is likely to have multiple problems in it, that that's part of life, to every day have multiple problems. So there's a sense of I expect certain things to happen. I expect that things will go wrong. I expect that every now and then I'll be stressed or upset with myself. And that reasonable expectation makes those events easier. So, for example, my Aunt Grace said, when she was in her 80s, she said, I get what I want, but I know what to want.
1: Uh huh. So that's different. So I have a question to interject there. Um, I have various cousins who are about 15, 10 to 15 years older than me, who often will say to me, they will put the decade I'm in in perspective because they've already gone through it. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have... Did you have people who did that for you or do you find this, all that you've learned and is from your own experience?
2: Well, the answer to that is, is kind of both because on one hand, I was extraordinarily lucky to have wonderful older women in my life. Um, my one grandmother died young, but my, my other grandmother was very important to me and I saw her age I saw her age with such grace. and You know, she was a a ranch wife during the Depression, Uh and her husband died first, and and that last year of her life she had leukemia. And she lived in a little tiny house. That house when she died sold for $3,000. She lived in a little tiny house Uh in a little ranch town in eastern Nebraska or eastern Colorado. And the last time I went to see her, she had leukemia she was in pain and she was dying and my mom was her doc and and my mom would go over there about once a month to check on her but anyway i i went in and and i i um i started to ask about her pain and and she said well let's talk about something more interesting let's talk about you and i i said well grandmother i'm worried about your pain i i really I respect that you want to talk about me, but, you know, what about your pain you're in and and the fact that you have leukemia? And she goes, I'm going to have that much pain whether or not um, I I talk about it or uh, whether or not I talk about it. And it's much more interesting and fun for me to talk about you. So she taught me a very good lesson in dealing with pain. that point and how to be cheerful and how to be interested in other people right up until the very end I also had lovely aunts so I've had a lot and I've had lovely older women in my life as an adult that were that were beautiful mentors about for example joy um, or gratitude and so on but when I look at my mother's generation it was a very different generation in a very different time zone. And one of the arguments in Women Roy North is that nobody knows, really, how women my age live the next 20 years of our lives. It's, it's a really new territory. The boomers are gonna live so much longer than earlier generations. I mean, we're likely if we retire at 65 to have 25, 30 good years ahead of us. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of issues around how do we how do we have that 25 years be a portal into growth and joy and deeper relationships and deepening spirituality so that's really what i wanted to explore in women roy north people don't grow naturally it's a result of a decision to grow and it's a choice to step into our lives with openness and willingness to learn and change. And if, we, if, if in this life stage, with its many genuine and serious challenges, we don't grow, we tend to get um, stagnant. The line I use in the book is, if we don't get better in this life stage, we get bitter. Because it really calls on us to, to grow in, a, in all dimensions in order to be happy. The amazing thing is most women do it. Uh, most women are able to do this.
1: Well, I like that concept that you talk about, about choice and about the attitude. And it's actually something that I use in my practice with people of much of a much younger age, because I think it's something that is important throughout our lives. And probably as we age, it's even more important. But making intentional choices, um, mm-hmm. I think, is uh is key and i and i really appreciate that point that you make um we are going to go to a commercial break so please stay tuned we're talking about women and experiences later in life and how to navigate those transitions if you have questions you can email me dr vidisha patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com and we will be right back
0: Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis, hypnosis can set you on your way to better health, can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for hypnosis everywhere. Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions hypnosis everywhere the simpson protocol airs live every wednesday at 11 a.m pacific time 2 p.m eastern time on voice america health and wellness
2: do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health Step into a healthier you.
0: Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into one 866 472 5792 That's one 866 472 You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number 4, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to perspectives.
1: Welcome back to perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel, and I'm in conversation with Mary Pfeiffer, author, anthropologist, and clinical psychologist. Just before the break, we were talking a little bit about women living longer and how we make intentional choices about how we're going to live our lives. Um, And I'd like to go to this uh, concept of life expectancy and how much longer women are living and how women often outlive men. Um, And so how does that How does that change us and how does that change this last or later segment
2: well i guess one the the way i would say it is uh we're extraordinarily lucky to have these extra years um nobody in the history of human species has ever had these before and whether we're rich or poor to have the gift of life 20 more years is a wonderful gift um I mean, I'm very aware of the gift of life. You know, I'm here and you're here because 30,000 generations of ancestors um, took care of their children until they were old enough to have children. And then those children took care of their children. And so to me, the gift of life is is something to celebrate. Um, But it also means that we are going to have... uh, many experiences that are both possibly wonderful and, uh, in many cases, very painful. This life stage, the joys and sorrows are as mixed up as salt and seawater. I mean, they're constant, they're intense, and they're, they're both present in almost every day for almost all of us. But for example, let's talk about loss a little bit. Um, okay. I feel really lucky. I haven't my husband's alive. All my close women friends are alive. Um, I haven't lost any of my siblings. So that for the most part, that that relationship, that, that shelter belt of relationships that helps me hold my life in place is, is still intact. None of those trees have fallen for me. Right. On the other hand, I, I have a very good friend who just lost her husband, and I've now been through... Uh, three or four of my friends losing their husbands or uh, their partners. And it's a devastating experience. Uh, It's a really devastating experience. And in this culture, I I don't think we begin to have the support we need for people who lose their life partners. I, I just don't think we have it. And we certainly don't have realistic timelines about how long it takes to heal and, um, for example, a general rule of thumb is that first year is really hard. Right. My own experience is the first two years are really hard. And then about year three, people start waking up in the morning without remembering my partner's not with me. But it's about three years before that happens. Right. But um uh, the, the, the odd thing, so on one hand, Losing a mate is extraordinarily difficult. On the other hand, one of the things I argue in this book is that you can walk out of your husband's funeral and see um, a beautiful uh, set of clouds in the sky or hear the call of a flicker and feel the joy of that moment. Right. And that's what's so interesting about this life stage is that constant back and forth between, you know, a child on your lap and news that a friend of yours has cancer it requires a great deal of skillful, emotional and social dexterity to to manage those those big back and forth waves of joy and pain. But as a result of that, we tend to become really wise, complicated, and deep people. Mm -hmm. And wise, complicated, and deep people end up being the happiest people there are. Is that
1: because of a greater appreciation?
2: Well, I think, I mean, for example, let's talk about the the life skills that lead into uh, uh, being a happy person. Uh, One of them we talked about is reasonable expectations, um, including things like not everybody's going to like us. Um, we're not going to be able to make everybody happy all the time and so on. Right. Um, another one is gratitude. I mean, happy people learn to thank the sun for rising. And it's very interesting. A lot of people think of gratitude as a kind of a nice thing, you know, like a nice way to be or a virtue. That's not my experience with gratitude. Gratitude is a survival skill. It is the it is the balancer for pain. And so, for example, the women I met doing this book that had the most difficult financial situations or the, the most physical disabilities and so on, they were the women who were the most grateful and joyous. Right. And they had learned over time with all their suffering how to tap in. To that vein of gratitude, just for the joy of being alive, so gratitude and reasonable expectations are, are really important also self awareness is really important, and able to be being able to control one 's reactivity and to know when um, it 's better to speak and it 's better to listen. Those kinds of skills come with time. The other skills really involve things like. Um, knowing how to be in a stable relationship and knowing how to be a friend um, and knowing how to um, ask for help when you need it and knowing how to joke around and use humor. You know, one of the interesting things to me is, and I remember this when I wrote Another Country back, um, that book was written back in the late Uh nineties, but I, I, thought, well, it might be kind of depressing to spend a lot of time with old people writing this book because I was younger then. You know, I, I wasn't an old person myself. Well, it turned out it was the most fun book I ever wrote because almost everybody I visited had jokes and laughed easily and was so appreciative if I bought them a cup of coffee or brought them an Easter lily or whatever. And this book, it's really been interesting, This the humor I've seen. Like, for example a friend of mine was telling me about her mother's death. And her mother uh, had never used drugs, ever. I mean, she'd never taken a prescription drug. She didn't believe in aspirin. She'd been in the hospital for one night to have my friend, to have her daughter. Uh But that's it, she did did not really wanna have anything to do with medicine. Well, when she was dying, she was in a lot of pain. She had pneumonia, which is a lot of pain. And so she's in an ICU and, and my friend is with her. And the doctor comes in and says, I can I can see that you're really in pain. Can I give you a shot of morphine? And my friend's mother starts to take a shake her head no, but my friend says, Mom, please do it. So the the mother agrees to do it and the doctor gives her a shot of morphine. And her body had been really tense, and then it just totally relaxed. Uh And she got a big smile on her face, and she said to her daughter, I've made a terrible mistake with my life. I should have (laughs) been taking drugs all along. Uh Well, it takes a lot of moxie to make a joke when you're dying of pneumonia in an ICU. But that kind of humor, I see it. I see it all the time. I see women able to joke. You know, I was in a... uh, I, when I was teaching at the university here in Lincoln, I went to the university gym, and so I was in that dressing room with a lot of young women, students and grad students, and and that is a hard life stage. I I think the twenties are are maybe eighteen to twenty five, maybe the hardest life stage in some ways. But anyway, these students, they're they're. Uh, having trouble with their roommates or their boyfriends or their parents, or they're stressed about money or they're stressed about grades, uh, and they're, they're very uneasy about their bodies. They kind of crouch over and hide their bodies, and if they say anything about their bodies, it's how fat they are or how they don't have a side gap or whatever. Right. So then I, I transferred to a, a gym for older women. And it was totally the opposite. You know, we older women walk around in our utilitarian underwear and we make jokes and we're not self-conscious about our bodies. And it's just, it's really been an ex, a, sort of a, a research project almost, the difference between the way women talk in gyms that where young women go versus where old women go.
1: That's great. And it's so true. I see that because... Um, I have kids in their 20s, and um, when I listen to them talking with their friends or they're expressing their concerns, it's very different even from how I feel, and I'm sure it's very different from how women who are much older than me feel. Um, yeah. there, is, there is this need to fit in and to be, be noticed, I suppose, um, in a conforming sort of way. Um, and I guess as we age, we don't feel that same need, and that comes. I think you talk about self confidence, um, right? So it comes through self confidence, uh, being able to speak up, and that's another. That's another interesting point about being able to speak up because I think that women who are currently in their 60s, 70s 80s and beyond grew up in a time i know i did culturally where speaking your mind wasn't necessarily considered the most appropriate thing to do
2: um, oh absolutely absolutely i mean i'm i grew up of course children were seen not heard but right. and children did not talk at the dinner table adults talked and children sat quietly and listened at the dinner table when i was growing up but more to the point I was taught as was every woman of my generation practically that it was very important to be nice. It was very important to be a good girl. I watched my aunt Agnes uh, go out and kill chickens in the morning and work all morning in a tiny little farm kitchen to get fried chicken and cream corn and biscuits and pies and mashed potatoes ready for a Sunday lunch dinner. And then during the dinner, She never sat down. She just circled the table, filling water glasses and going to the kitchen to get more of whatever a bowl emptied out of. And that's what I learned women do, is you put your own needs last, and you say yes to everybody, and your job is to take care of people and be really, really nice. Well, there's a lot to be said for that. And I've been a, I've tried to be a good person and take care of people my whole life. And I'm not unhappy. I was taught that in most ways. That's better lessons than many. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it really took me uh, probably about six decades to sort out the idea that I could teach myself to t- care for myself. Nobody ever taught me that. And it's only really quite late in life that I learned. Um, that it's it's just perfectly fine for me to include myself in any kind of equation about you know what might make people happy. I get to vote on that. So, for example, two skills that are really important for women uh, that we tend to acquire late in life. One is the power of saying no and just simply saying no. Like the first time I said no, I mean, I never said quite like no, but (laughs) I'll say, well, no, I don't think I wanna do that or that's just not gonna work for me. I'll say it kindly, but it'll be a no, and it won't be a but, it'll be a no, a firm no. And the first few times I did that, I thought lightning would strike me dead. It was such an (laughs) unfamiliar experience. But it, it worked out fine, it was just fine. And the same with the power of yes. To being able to to listen to our hearts and when they say you need rest or you really need to go out and walk around on a spring day or you have wanted all your life to do this, why don't you go do it? That's really important too. And so we start granting ourselves uh, not only mercy, but more ability to set boundaries and to make choices. And to meet our, take care of that crazy baby in us that we all have in there, but mostly ignore most of our lives.
1: Right. Well, we we I think we stuff that baby away somewhere and just keep adding more layers to it. Um, and this concept of saying no, it's. It's really interesting. It is. It's very difficult to say it the first few times you say it. And it does does get easier. And I also like the point you made about the no but, because I know I personally Mm -hmm. find myself saying no and then trying to explain the reason for the no. And it's not really necessary, is it?
2: (laughs) No, it's not. But it takes, you know, one of the core lessons of this book is that, there's always the possibility of self-rescue. And that if we can be honest and face the truth squarely, we can adapt to anything. And, and we, learn, we learn the skills for making everything workable. And part of what makes things workable is this ability to, to say to other people, this is what I need. Or, or this, is, this is where i where. Where I want to be on this situation, so it's a it's a, just a wonderful freeing um, gift to ourselves to do that. It
1: seems like such a dramatic cultural shift, though, to say what my needs are are valid and um, right. I'm and I'm going to state them out loud. It's it's one thing I I find that there is a transition where women start to say those things to themselves inside their heads Uh, and it's almost as if you have to practice it until you get Mm -hmm. to a point where you can say it out loud um but society still doesn't really accept it
2: right and and that's another thing uh you have to be able to one of my friends has a beautiful phrase for it she calls it standing out in the rain Uh which means that you will take the heat for your own decisions that you'll take responsibility for them. And if that means sometimes people aren't just utterly hundred percent happy and delighted with you, you'll stand out in the rain for some decision you've made. And, and we, of course we need to end up standing out in the rain. Right. I wanted to mention, Badisha, another, uh, life skill. that's very important.
1: Okay, and And I'm actually going to, I'm going to actually ask you if you will save it for our next segment because we're about to go for a short commercial break. So don't go away. We'll be right back to talk some more about women traversing the later years of life.
0: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
3: Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones.
0: Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into one 866 472 5792 That's one 866 472 5792 You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at Dr. V4Kids at Yahoo.com. That's Dr. V the number 4Kids at yahoo.com. Now Back to Perspectives.
1: Welcome back to the last segment of our show today. You're listening to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. Please get in touch via email to drv 4 yahoo.com if you have any questions or comments. I'm here with Mary Pfeiffer and we're discussing Life skills that women can learn and utilize as we age and progress through the later stages of life. So, Mary, as we went to the commercial break, we you were starting to introduce another life skill, and I had to unfortunately interrupt you. so I would love for you to pick up from there.
2: Yeah. well, in women, Roy North, there's a chapter called Crafting Resplendent Narratives. and the the point of that chapter is none of us can change our past. Nobody can change what happened to them before this present moment. Um, What they did, what other people did to them, it's it's done, it's over, it's gone. But we can change our stories about the past. We can change our stories. And that's a really important skill because the stories we tell ourselves about our lives and who we are and what our lives mean have great power in terms of determining how happy we are. So, for example, it's very important when we look back over our past to look for the people that loved us and gave us joy and were kind to us right. and nurtured us in some way. And, and when we focus on those people and when we focus on the moments in our lives when we feel good about ourselves, we have a happier present. Um, and furthermore, we can use those happy memories to comfort ourselves. And one of the examples I don't know if this is in the book or not. I've I've given it in a talk, I think. Mm-hmm. But when I have insomnia, one of the things that I can do to go to sleep is um, remember my grandmother's kitchen. I had a wonderful relationship with my mother's mother. And when we had big family dinners, she called me my Mary. She would say, now my Mary and I are going to do dishes. <laughs> and then we'd go out to her kitchen, and she'd say – Now, let's do these dishes slow so we can talk a long time. And she really made me feel special. Like, for example, I was in kind of a big, chaotic family where I didn't get too much attention. And one time we went out to my grandma's and she said, um, I said, what are we having for dinner? And she said, pork chops. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I love those. And she goes, well, Mary, that's why we're having them is because you love them. And I remember just being... Stunned by that, that a whole meal for twelve people would be planned around what I like to eat. Uh, but anyway when i when I can't sleep, I remember every shelf of her kitchen. It was a little that's that three thousand dollars house, a very little right. simple house. But I remember the plates were on the bottom shelf on one side of the sink, and next up was much smaller drinking glasses than we have now, and next up much smaller coffee cups and bowls than we have now. And then I can move across the sink and open the second cabinet on the other side, and about the time I'd get to the cookie jar, I'd fall asleep. <laughs> so these, these stories, these remembering these people we love and holding those stories in our heart are really, it's, it's a really good life skill to be able to do that. I think that's beautiful,
1: and I it that touches me on a very personal level because I've had um, significant loss at early years in my life. I've lost my mother. I've lost my brother and other key um, people who nurtured me. But you're right. The days that I think about those wonderful, warm memories, those are happier days. And yeah, yeah. yes, there might be loss, but... There's so many beautiful memories to to um, use to sort of bring you back up. Um, so that's a great. I'm
2: glad you can, I can. I'm very glad you can do that for yourself, Padisha. That's really good.
1: It it takes time, but um, I think we all we can all get there again if we have if we make the intentional choice that that is how we want to move that we want to move forward. So right. Um, I think that's that's great.
2: Um, there were two other life skills I think that you were well one of them I call it friendshiping but that is simply knowing how to make friends and hold on to them and it's part of it is like at my age I have friends of all ages because I've got I've got I'm in an environmental group and there's a lot of 20 year olds in that group and I try to really stay connected to younger people and to for example my children's friends and my grandchildren's friends by now But the main friends that really seem to pull women through are their women friends. And I call women friends a mental health insurance policy because, boy, when I am upset or need to process something, I call a woman friend and we take a walk. And that'll just do it for me every time in terms of helping me understand myself and the situation and feel supported and nurtured, but also more likely to make a good decision about how to handle something difficult. And women friends are just also just tons of fun. They laugh together, cook together. You know, in my case, I've been going camping with the same group of women since the mid-80s. And we know each other really well. We know each other's families. And it's just this beautiful gift of, of older women friends. Then another... Uh, thing I wanted to mention is when we go around the world I think it's very important to set our intention for what we're looking for because we find what we're looking for so for example uh, one of the really a really good intention I, I set my intention this way sometimes is to walk around the world looking for evidence of love in the universe and that might be for example Ah, an older lady carrying an ice cream cone into a nursing home. Uh Or it might be seeing a mother and child out for a nature walk and the mother's hand tenderly, tenderly on the child's head. But if we look for evidence of love of the universe, we can find it. And on the other hand, if we walk around the world looking for evidence that we're being cheated or that people are mean and difficult, we can probably find that too. So just setting an intention, this is what I'm looking for when I walk out. Or one that I like very much too is looking for beauty. I just can almost always rescue myself in the most difficult moment if I can find one beautiful thing to look at. And the amazing thing, Bodisha, is there's always one beautiful thing. No matter where I am and what's going on, I can always find that one beautiful thing I need at that moment.
1: And that leads back to the gratitude and the appreciation doesn't it because um oh, yeah. it's opening your eyes to to the positive things that you see out there because we can always find enough negative things if we're looking yeah, for them so like, well, I need to get a um, it's just I'm like, I, so it is, is that, that intentional, intentional choice of me, what you're looking for department.
2: You know, the great gifts of this life stage, I the last of the book I call the North Star and it's the great gifts. Oh no and there's self acceptance and authenticity. Uh there's a a real growth in moral imagination so that hopefully by time we die we include all humans and maybe even all living beings in our circle of caring. We really have reached the depth where we understand that we're all very alike and very interconnected by heart. And then the other thing is most people my age have enhanced capacity for blitz and just are more likely to enjoy um, and really feel wonder and bliss at the sight of snow falling or a sunrise or uh, the face of their beloved. Dollars. There's just a beautiful thing that happens that she as more is taken away times, in terms of, of uh, physical functioning and so on. I know. Uh, there's a calculus and we're yeah, given and these great gifts like, that we didn't anticipate, anticipate and, do, and that no one in the, the culture report teaches report us report to expect
1: so okay. did that just start to emerge do you find it's just emerging or was it how does well that it,
2: it's it's emerged over the course of 71 years and i think many other yeah, women would say the bucks, same really? but part of it but issue is a really simple thing is most people my age have more time And it's very hard. I mean, I remember when I was working full time and had young kids, I barely had time to go to a bathroom, let alone sit around and watch a sunrise. I was always moving and always, you know, just the kids would go to bed and I'd be doing laundry and trying to pay bills before I went to bed tired and getting up in the morning. And in my case, during that time, I was getting up at 5 and trying to write before I woke up my kids at 7 well I wasn't wasn't moving slow enough to experience much bliss I was just trying to stay moving and do the stuff I needed to do so I think part of it is that I think part of it is again going back to this sense of, of finitude that as you realize I've only got a certain number of full moon risings left in me I've only got a certain number of trips to the Rocky Mountains left for me. I've only got a certain number of coffees with this dear friend of mine. Then those moments are so yeah. profound and important that there there's a sense of bliss that they're even happening at all
1: right so do you think we can learn those um, those skills and have those have that level of appreciation? earlier I mean it's such a gift but given that we don't know how long we'll be on this earth um, is there a, is there a possibility or do you or do you think this is just something that we wait for in our well, of course
2: I think there's some children that are born wise and that are born fully developed really? yes. morally um, and I, I certainly know young people who are very loving caring deep people and very and have the skills to be happy so it isn't and i I also know old people who do not fit the description that i've been been sharing with you today so i I don't think it's like an absolute of course but one of the arguments i would make is 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 it takes a lifetime to 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 really fully fully acquire uh the perspective that um that older people have. And, and there's a reason in most, in most uh, human traditions that old people are respected for their knowledge, because right. just by virtue of being on the planet and watching the human experience for decades, we learn some things that you can't know at 20. Uh, or even at 40. That being said, one of the things that's been really fun for me about Women Roy North is a lot of younger people have read it and liked it. So I I think some of the things are really simple, you know, to just decide that as you go about the day you're going to look for peace and joy or to realize I want some women friends in my life. And all of those, there's not like a 100% end goal with any of this it's all of a process course. every day right. is a process isn't it of yes. trying to build a good day for oneself and and I don't want to re- misrepresent myself as someone who's like always blissed out and happy and you know totally <laughs> positive I mean right. I'm not a naturally sunny person and like everyone else I have days when I'm I'm not a, able to muster up the energy and motivation intention and to have the kind of experiences I love to have Right. So I'm saying I'm I'm more able to now than right. when I was young.
1: Well, it, it, I think it's about moving towards doing these things the majority of the time and having the flexibility to bring yourself back to that place of positivity and That's right. confidence. Um, and I have to say, culturally, having grown up in India, our elders, our grandparents, all our older relatives were have always been so revered and respected. And that's how I grew up, because exactly they have that wisdom that we couldn't have. And um, I feel very fortunate that I grew up in a culture that taught me that already. Um, So, you know, it's, it's helpful, I find that, culturally there are differences and um, I'm not sure that it's the same way now I see that the younger generations of women and girls are being raised we're raising them to be more confident um, and putting themselves and their needs firmly in place I I don't know how that's Mm -hmm. going to change their transitions as they navigate through, Mm -hmm. through their lives either
2: Well, one of the reasons I wrote Women Roaring North is this Western culture needs to have a very different discussion about aging. Um, And the the discussion that we've had for the last 20, 30 years is, is first of all, not true and not even close to reality, but secondly, deeply harmful to the culture because one of the effects of it is to separate the generations. And I think you know this having grown up in India, but beautiful things happen when people of all ages are together. It's it's a wonderful kind of synergy and energy flowing between age uh, developmental stages. And so I, I would love to see our culture reorganize around more, we can call it intergenerational bonding. But the other thing is, if we have the, the boomers are, are the pig in the Python, They're, we're the biggest demographic bulge in, in this you know, in, in this history, really. Right. And if we have, you know 30 percent of Americans over 65, and we have no good education about what that life looks like, people are bound to be miseducated by advertising, by stereotypes, by uh, old stagnant belief systems. So, my my most fervent hope with this book is that it helps people start new conversations about what it means to be older.
1: And I think it does just that. And I have so many more questions I could ask you, but we have run out of time. So, Mary Pfeiffer, thank you so much for joining me today and having this conversation about navigating through the later stages of life and flourishing through that. Um, and thank you to all my listeners for joining us today on perspectives. If you have questions, if you have comments, please feel free to email me at drvforkids at yahoo.com. And I hope everyone has a wonderful week. Thank you again, Mary, and until next time.
0: Thank you for listening to our program this week. Another edition of Perspectives with Dr. Vidisha Patel can be heard next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until we talk again, have a lovely week.